Do you see dead people? Not because you're a Bruce Willis superfan, but because visits with Gma got a little weird after her funeral. Are you often up at 3 a.m. googling the various ways in which bodies decompose? But you swear it's just harmless research. Are you the first of your friend group to go on a murder tour or rent a haunted location for the night? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Identity Podcast. An article for Vice by Avhani Richter from February of 2015, a Somali woman claims to have given birth to twins, one a boy and the other a snake. The woman was from the Afgoyi district of Mogadishu and was shocked when she realized what she had delivered. She was expecting two human babies after all. A family relative named Ali Muhammad traveled to visit the mother and the new arrivals and was shocked to hear what had occurred. He said when he arrived that the mother told him the snake would only come out when she was alone and would otherwise hide under the bed or in the cupboards. Both the father and mother believed that the snake child was a miracle bestowed upon them by God himself. Of course, it's more likely that the snake found its way into the woman's bed and was mistaken for a delivered child. This is not the first instance of human beings giving birth to animals. Of course, many of the documented occurrences from the 17th century involved deformities, babies born with extra limbs, fingers, or toes, or without eyes. For example, a physician named Pietro Castelli stated that he had seen two women who had given birth to creatures. One birthing what Castelli called a monster, and one a cyclops. Castelli also claimed a woman had given birth to a dog-like creature in Sicily, Italy. Modern medicine has identified many deformities and defects, and it's more likely that these children fell into these categories. A woman in Indonesia reportedly gave birth to a lizard. She exhibited every sign of pregnancy, but instead of birthing a human baby, she pushed out a lizard. The creature was covered in blood and mucus. I'm assuming that they mean afterbirth. And there was no baby found in the womb. It is speculated that the woman had a miscarriage, and the lizard happened to be underneath her at the time. In the 18th century, a woman named Mary Toft gave birth to rabbits, 17 to be exact, and for several months following this spectacle, the whole of the nation was mesmerized by the occurrence, even King George I. I'm keen on protein powders that give me a little extra boost. 
there are mornings when I just can't get up and eat a huge breakfast, so I make a protein shake instead, and the powders I got from Unico Nutrition hit the spot. There are so many delicious flavors. Vanilla ice cream milkshake, ooey gooey frosted cinnamon roll, spoonful of peanut butter with chocolate, Aunt Judy's banana cream pie, molten chocolate lava shake, cookies and cream dream, and candy shop caramel squares. They even have a birthday cake cupcake with rainbow sprinkles. Unico protein powder for women and men is the perfect guilt-free indulgence. Use the low-carb protein shakes for faster recovery after workouts, healthier snacking, or even as a meal replacement. The powder itself is so fine that it blends seamlessly into milkshakes and mixes for baked goods. And Unico has a bunch of recipes on their website for delicious donuts and keto-friendly cinnamon rolls, to name a few. Unico's everyday wellness supplements help replenish essential nutrients and help you live your best life. Trim down and tone up with Unico's best-in-class supplements for weight loss, carefully formulated with five patented all-natural ingredients to help you achieve your healthiest physique. Right now, listeners of the Identity Podcast can save $20 on their purchase at uniconutrition.com. Just head on over to their website and use code IDENTITY at checkout. That's O-D-D-E-N-T-I-T-Y. Say goodbye to chalky, tasteless protein powders and supplements that fall flat, and say hello to Unico Nutrition. It's like a bunch of unicorns are having a rave in your mouth. Seriously. Hello, oddballs, and welcome back to the Identity Podcast, your weekly foray into the weird, wonky, and sometimes downright spooky. This week, I'll introduce you to Mary Toft, an English woman from Godalming, Surrey, who in 1726 became the subject of considerable controversy when she seemingly gave birth to rabbits. Shout out to Ed from Ontario for suggesting this one. Apologies it's taken so long. And now, on with the show. Let me begin by saying that, scientifically, it's impossible for human beings to give birth to hybrid creatures, and it's likely that the majority of cases in medical history can be explained by severe deformation, causing the child to resemble a snake or a dog. But what about a woman who gives birth to actual rabbits? floppy, hoppy bunnies. Well, let's start from the ground up and work our way back to this peculiar case, shall we? Mary was born on February 21st of 1703 to John and Jane Denyer. At 17 years of age, Mary married Joshua Toft, who was 18 at the time. It wasn't uncommon for people to marry at a young age in the 1700s, Toft was a wool cloth worker, which essentially means he worked in the textile industry, doing anything from the physical labor of carrying baled wool or cotton goods in a mill to cleaning and fine-tuning machinery. There isn't much information about John's means of putting bread on the table, but it's safe to say that the Tofts were treading the poverty line at best. Mary was born into a poor and illiterate family was employed as a laborer in a hop field, and her marriage to John likely gave her a slight step up in terms of income, but perhaps one that was hardly noticeable. 
that'll play into her story as well. From what Mary Toft felt, Women's Voices, Paint, Power, and the Body by Karen Hervey, quote, their first child, Anne, was born on the 27th of March, 1723, though she appears to have died in July of that year. The birth of their son, James, followed 12 months later on the 8th of July, 1724. Thus, at the time, Mary had given birth to two children, with one still living. A third and final child, Elizabeth, was christened on the 4th of February, 1728. Mary's parents, John and Jane Denyer, had five children, of whom Mary was the second eldest. She was, though, the oldest girl. This may be why she left home to marry so early, though it's also possible that there may have been an earlier pregnancy. Her parents are entirely missing from the story of the case, typical of the severing of these connections when a woman married, though the absence of her mother is perhaps peculiar given the nature of events. Joshua Toft, Mary's husband and senior by only two or three months, was the sixth of 12 children. Joshua was named after his father and also shared the name with his elder brother. His parents' first son, who had died two years before Joshua, was born. Such naming practices were not unusual and reflected the importance of lineage and the family community. Mary Toft's miscarriage of spring 1726 and the animal births that followed thwarted the powerful impulse to reproduce this family. The early newspaper accounts of the case and the account given by Mary in St. Andre's pamphlet were produced when Mary was in Godalming. She was subsequently moved to the town of Guildford and then to London, where she came under the closer observation of doctors and also of men representing the criminal justice system." End quote. Before we delve into Mary Toft's specific situation and the doctors who attended to her, let's talk a little bit about false or phantom pregnancy or pseudocysis. Nausea, fatigue, and swelling in the breasts are common while a woman is pregnant, and all of these symptoms can also be present in a woman experiencing pseudocysis. It's an uncommon condition, but it can cause a woman to believe that she is pregnant. In phantom pregnancies, there's no conception and no baby, but the symptoms can cause a woman to believe that she's expecting. In an article titled, False Phantom Pregnancy Causes Symptoms and Treatments by Jessica Timmons, quote, some mental health professionals believe it's related to an intense desire or fear of becoming pregnant. It's possible that this affects the endocrine system, which in turn causes symptoms of pregnancy. Another theory relates to wish fulfillment. Some mental health professionals believe that when a woman yearns to be pregnant, possibly after experiencing multiple miscarriages, infertility, or because she wants to get married, she may misinterpret certain changes in her body as a clear sign that she's pregnant. The third theory is related to certain chemical changes in the nervous system that are related to depressive disorders. It's possible that these chemical changes are responsible for the symptoms of false pregnancy. A false pregnancy often resembles pregnancy in every way, minus the presence of a baby. In all cases, the woman is absolutely certain that she is pregnant. Physically, 
The most common symptom is a distended abdomen, similar to a baby bump. The belly can begin to expand just as it does during pregnancy when a developing baby grows. During false pregnancy, this abdominal extension isn't the result of a baby. Instead, it's believed to have been caused by the buildup of gas, fat, feces, or urine. Irregularity of a woman's menstrual cycle is the second most common physical symptom. Between one-half and three-quarters of women experiencing pseudocysis reported feeling the baby move. Many women also report feeling the baby kick, even though there was never a baby present. Other symptoms can be just as difficult to distinguish from those experienced during an actual pregnancy and can include morning sickness and vomiting, tender breasts, changes to the breasts, including size and pigmentation, lactation, weight gain, labor pains, inverted belly button, increased appetite, enlargement of the uterus, softening of the cervix, and false labor. These symptoms can be so believable that doctors can even be deceived, end quote. And in Mary's case, they were. False pregnancies disproportionately occur in women who are experiencing psychological issues, and it's not uncommon for women in this situation to believe that they're pregnant. For example, Mary Tudor believed herself to be pregnant several times. The first false pregnancy in 1554 occurred when Mary was 38 years of age, and likely distressed that she would not be able to produce an heir for the throne. Of course, women these days are conceiving in their 40s, but Mary was already concerned about her biological clock, and the stress of producing an heir likely sent her into a mental tailspin. There was also no way to tell that Mary was pregnant, aside from the fact that she'd put on weight and her garments no longer fit her. The sheer panic she experienced when a child was not delivered several months after her due date likely added to her stress, and Mary blamed the lateness of her child's arrival on the Protestant dissenters, leading to a round of executions, not the first round by a long shot. They didn't call her Bloody Mary for nothing. In September of 1726, King George I was informed of the birth of several rabbits by a woman located in Godalming, near Guildford, in Surrey. The woman, Mary Toft, had experienced a miscarriage only a month before, in August of 1726, and still appeared to be pregnant. A neighbor, Mary Gill, attended Toft during her labor and delivery of something resembling a cat with no liver. I'm having a hard time picturing what exactly that might look like. It was at this point that the family decided to contact John Howard, an obstetrician in Guildford. Upon his arrival in the Toft home, Anne Toft showed Howard the animal parts that she claimed Mary had delivered during the night. The day after, Howard helped to deliver more animal parts and continued to return and aided in the delivery of rabbit's heads, the legs of a cat, and in one single day, nine dead rabbit kits. Howard was flabbergasted by these events, having seen nothing like this before in his career in medicine, and he sent letters to England's greatest doctors. He also sent a letter to the king's secretary, informing of what he called miraculous births. 
From The Monstrous and the Sportive Grotesque in the Early 18th Century by Ian David McCormick, quote, The case is interesting because it displays both the danger of the female imagination and the tendency to deceive. Those who believed her story, as the account will show, were as much victims of a deception as of their own oppressive will to construct the female as an innately fanciful and monstrous construct. At the outset, Mary Toft claimed that she had encountered a hare during pregnancy and that this made an undue impression on her mind. Entering labor, she was delivered first of what was taken to be the guts of a pig, but when her labor began in earnest, it was found that she was apparently producing rabbits at an astonishing rate. The surgeon dealing with the case invited anyone to verify the evidence by attending a delivery. Meanwhile, nine rabbits were delivered and Mary was moved to Guilford. Mr. St. Andre accepted a surgeon's invitation to observe the case and he verified the monstrous birth. Upon inspection, further evidence of the authenticity of the case was volunteered by Sericus Allers, surgeon to His Majesty's German household. End quote. Nathaniel St. Andre was a Swiss physician who, through an effort to teach fencing, was injured and became fascinated with medicine. He was impressed by the wealth of the surgeon who saw to him and decided to apprentice with that surgeon in London. Eventually, he was able to set up his own practice, and he gave lectures on anatomy and surgery. Eventually, St. Andre examined the king and was given a sword in thanks. It was King George I who sent St. Andre to Howard's aid, along with Ehlers and Samuel Molyneux, secretary to the Prince of Wales, and also to return information to him regarding what was happening with Toft. All of the men who witnessed the births were convinced of its authenticity. St. Andre even went on to publish a short narrative of extraordinary delivery of rabbits, a 40-page document outlining his experience. St. Andre begins by outlining the situation in which he finds himself and gradually moves into the purpose of his writing, including letters from John Howard to His Majesty for his evaluation. Quote, Since I wrote to you, I have taken or delivered the poor woman of three more rabbits, all three half-grown, one of them a dun rabbit. The last leapt 23 hours in the uterus before it died. As soon as the 11th rabbit was taken away, up leapt the 12th rabbit, which is now leaping. If you have any curious person that is pleased to come post, may see another leap from her uterus, and shall take it from her if he pleases, which will be a great satisfaction to the curious. If she had been with child, she had but ten days more to go, so I don't know how many rabbits may be behind. I have brought the woman to Guildford for better convenience. I am, sir, your humble servant, John Howard." End quote. Alexander Pope, a poet and satirist, wrote to John Carroll on December 5th of 1726, asking for more information on the case. He asked, quote, I want to know what faith you have in the miracle at Guildford. Not doubting, but as you passed through that town, you went as a philosopher to investigate. 
if not as a curious anatomist to inspect that wonderful phenomena, end quote. By this point, Mary was quite the local celebrity, and she was monitored closely by Howard in his residence. St. Andre took the time spent with Mary to document what had occurred, aiding Howard in conducting examinations on the lungs and internal workings of the rabbits. It was through these examinations that the doctors realized that the rabbits probably didn't develop inside Mary's womb, and some of these specimens were sent back to the King and Prince of Wales. Each time Mary gave birth, Howard would pickle the rabbit and place it on a shelf in his study. From the curious case of Mary Toft, quote, Ehlers examined Mary and witnessed several of her rabbit births. However, he was not convinced. On examination of the rabbit parts he had taken back to London, Ehlers found that the dung pellets in the rectum of one of the rabbits contained corn, hay, and straw, which proved that it could not have developed inside Mary. Ehlers reported back to the king on November 21st that he suspected a hoax with Mary Toft and John Howard in collusion, and he showed these rabbit specimens as evidence. Sir Richard Manningham, an eminent doctor and midwife among upper-class society in London, was contracted by St. Andre to attend upon Mary Toft. After observing her and seeing her give birth to what he believed was a hog's bladder, he also seemed unconvinced, but he was persuaded to keep his doubts to himself by Howard and St. Andre until there was proof of any fraud. Howard and St. Andre were trying to save their reputations in the light of what Ehlers had concluded, end quote. Once Mary's rabbits came to the attention of the press, it caused a sensation. In the mid-18th century, interest in monstrosities was high, and people were willing to pay to see them. A poor family like the Tofts likely saw this as a way to make money. Monstrous or deformed individuals were already being showcased all across Europe, and had been for hundreds of years at this point. Poor and wealthy people alike were fascinated by such things, and would happily open their pocketbooks for the chance to see a monstrosity like Mary's. My old deodorant just wasn't cutting it anymore. I was constantly itchy and frequently had rashes under my arms. Then I switched to Lumi. In case you were wondering, everything they say in the cute advertisements with the French lady that you've seen are true. Lumi is a natural deodorant for underarms and private parts that's clinically proven to last up to 48 hours. I can now go almost 72 hours without reapplication. I also use Lumi on my feet, and they have a line of soap, lotion, and wipes to satisfy all of your stink suppression needs. Lumi was invented by an OBGYN, is safe for any external use, and is made without aluminum, baking soda, or fragrance oils, so it's safe for even the most sensitive skin. But Lumi still smells pleasant. I'm partial to the juniper berry and clean tangerine myself, but there's also jasmine rose, silver spruce, lavender sage, coconut crush, and unscented. Right now, Lumi is offering first-class shipping on USPS orders over $20 or more, and there's always a sensational sale on their site. You see what I did there? And as a bonus, if you buy using my link, 
you'll be automatically entered to win a free Lumi product every week. So head on over to the Lumi website via the link in the show notes and take Lumi out for a spin. Lumi, for everyone's pits and stinky bits. It's also likely at this point that Mary, having spent all of this time fabricating rabid pregnancies and now having the interest of the king himself, became petrified by what might become of her if she came clean. Howard had taken her into his home, and being of the poorer class, she was likely enjoying all of the attention and care. Toft wove detailed narratives, at least as detailed as she could manage, stating that she had been startled by a rabbit while working in the field, and found herself constantly craving rabbit, though she was too poor to afford them. At the time, maternal impression was a popular theory used to explain deformities in birth. Joseph Merrick, the elephant man, explained his condition in a similar manner, stating that his mother was startled by an elephant while she was pregnant. There were also different defects associated with the different signs and phases of the moon. McCormick writes, quote, The uncertain status of reason and science was no more evident than in the validity, for some observers, of astrological proofs for such monstrous occurrences. William Winston, who had served as professor of anatomy at Cambridge, for instance, attributed the Toff case to a prophecy in the apocryphal book of Esedrus. It was, of course, considered dangerous to conceive under the sign of cancer, author of monstrous shapes, uneven set of tumors, wens, and members incomplete. Hence, apish forms and ugly births began, and gibbous dwarfs beneath the strain of man. Capricorn, meanwhile, deforms the face and blisters all the skin. End quote. St. Andre needed no further convincing that Mary Toft was the real deal, but the other doctors had their doubts. It is at this point that Mary is moved to a bathhouse in London so that other doctors, as many as ten at a time and all men, could examine her. Their opinions were divided. Mary continued to appear to go into labor but didn't produce any more rabbits. She had developed a terrible infection and seizures that would sometimes cause her to lose consciousness. Karen Harvey writes, quote, she gave birth to no more rabbits, and also seems to have taken quite ill. But it was during this time that a porter was caught sneaking a rabbit into Toft's room, he explained. And Toft's sister-in-law, Margaret Toft, had asked him to obtain the smallest rabbit he could find. Toft refused to confess until Manningham threatened to perform surgery to determine if she had any strange reproductive organs. On December 7th, she came clean. The confession surprised very few, but was unfortunately timed for St. Andre, who had just published his thrilling True-to-Life Exposé, a short narrative of an extraordinary delivery of rabbits just four days prior. End quote. Toft admitted that she had manually inserted dead rabbits inside herself and allowed them to be removed as if she was giving birth. Honestly, it's amazing that the infection didn't kill her. 
She penned several confessions, blaming a mysterious stranger, the wife of an organ grinder, her mother-in-law, and John Howard for the deception. She even claimed a traveling woman had told her how to insert the rabbits into her body and how the scheme would ensure that she would never want for anything else as long as she lived. On the 9th of December, she was charged with being a notorious and vile cheat and sent to Bridewell Prison. Allegedly, she was placed on exhibit to large and curious crowds by the wardens. St. Andre tried to vindicate his own behavior, but to no avail. Satirical prints began to surface, poking fun at the medical profession and the incompetence of the doctors involved in the Toft saga. They were shown as ignorant fools. Pamphlets and drawings appeared ridiculing St. Andre as well as other physicians who had examined Toft, depicting them as completely gullible and as charlatans. From the curious case of Mary Toft, quote, Public interest in the case died out by around January of the following year, but the repercussions continued for those involved. For Sir Richard Manningham and James Douglas, there had been temporary embarrassment regarding their close connection with the affair, but their careers and reputations were secure. St. Andre, however, lost favor with the court, and as his reputation plummeted, his patients deserted him. He retired to London and eventually died in poverty in an almshouse in Southampton. John Howard had to answer charges of being concerned in the cheat and conspiracy of Mary Toft, but the case against him was dropped, and he remained a respected figure in Guildford." End quote. It came to light after Mary's incarceration that rabbits had been sold to Mary's husband, Several individuals came forward to affirm that they did sell them to Toft, and Toft did not purchase the rabbits to eat. I think this adds further weight to the claim that Mary fabricated her pregnancies in hopes of obtaining money and social standing within her community. As for Mary herself, the case against her was dismissed, not for lack of proof of guilt, but probably because of the further embarrassment to the establishment that would ensue if the case were pursued any further. She spent a few months in jail, then returned to relative obscurity. In the years that followed the scandal, the Duke of Richmond, who had a residence near Godalming, sometimes showed her at dinner parties for the curiosity of his guests. In April 1740, Mary was charged with receiving stolen goods and committed to the House of Correction in Guildford, but was later acquitted by the jury. She died on the 13th of January, 1763. The London paper's obituary columns announced her death alongside those of peers and statesmen." End quote. There have been extensive studies in recent years regarding the theory of maternal impressions, most of which basically use the Toff rabbit ruse as an example of how flimsy the science behind this phenomenon actually is. If you'd like to learn more about maternal impressions, I'd recommend Maternal Impressions by Christina Mazzoni. Mazzoni doesn't analyze the Toft incident at all, but it's still an enlightening read. Alexander Pope and William Pulteney's anonymous satirical ballad, The Discovery, or The Squire Turned Ferret, published in 1726, opens with the following verse. 
Most true it is, I dare to say, ere since the days of Eve, the weakest woman sometimes may, the wisest man, deceive. Pope would go on to pen several satirical pieces about Toft. In one he writes, At Godleman heard by the bull, a woman, long thought barren, bears rabbits, gad, so plentiful, you'd take her for a warren. That's it for this week, dear listeners. Tune in next week for more tales of the creepy, weird, and paranormal. Until next time, stay spooky. The Identity Podcast is brought to you on a weekly basis by host Janine Mercer. The podcast is written, produced, and edited by Janine Mercer, unless otherwise stated, and the music is provided by GarageBand. Find The Odd Pod on Twitter and Instagram at IdentityPod and Facebook as The Identity Podcast. You're welcome to email suggestions for future episodes to theidentitypodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like a transcript of this episode, one will be available at theidentitypodcast.wordpress.com. Please take a moment to leave a five-star review on iTunes. And if you haven't already, please make sure to mash that subscribe button to be sure you're in the know when a new episode drops. Sincerest thanks to all that have promoted the Identity Podcast to their family, friends, and coworkers. Every little bit helps.